2 Samuel chapter 10. After this, the king of the children of Ammon died, and Hanan his son reigned in his place. David said, I will show kindness to Hanan the son of Nahash, as his father showed kindness to me. So David sent by his servants to comfort him concerning his father. David's servants came into the land of the children of Ammon. But the princes of the children of Ammon said to Hanan their lord, Do you think that David honours your father in that he has sent comforters to you? Hasn't David sent his servants to you to search the city, to spy it out and to overthrow it? So Hanan took David's servants, shaved off one half of their beards, and cut off their garments in the middle, even to their buttocks, and sent them away. When they told David this, he sent to meet them, for the men were greatly ashamed. The king said, Wait at Jericho until your beards have grown, and then return. When the children of Ammon saw that they had become odious to David, the children of Ammon sent and hired the Syrians of Beth-Rehob and the Syrians of Zobar, 20,000 footmen, and the king of Maaka with 1,000 men, and the men of Tob, 12,000 men. When David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the army of the mighty men. The children of Ammon came out and put the battle in array at the entrance of the gate. The Syrians of Zobar and of Rehob and the men of Tob and Maaka were by themselves in the field. Now when Joab saw that the battle was set against him before and behind, he chose of all the choice men of Israel and put them in array against the Syrians. The rest of the people he committed into the hand of Abishai his brother, but he put them in array against the children of Ammon. He said, If the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the children of Ammon are too strong for you, then I will come and help you. Be courageous, and let's be strong for our people, and for the cities of our God, and may Yahweh do what seems good to him. So Jarab and the people who were with him came near, to the battle against the Syrians, and they fled before him. When the children of Ammon saw that the Syrians had fled, they likewise fled before Abishai and entered into the city. Then Joab returned from the children of Ammon and came to Jerusalem. When the Syrians saw that they were defeated by Israel, they gathered themselves together. Hadadezer sent and brought out the Syrians who were beyond the river, and they came to Helam, with Shobak, the captain of the army of Hadadezer, at their head. David was told that, and he gathered all Israel together, passed over the Jordan, and came to Halam. The Syrians set themselves in array against David and fought with him. The Syrians fled before David, and David killed 700 charioteers of the Syrians and 40,000 horsemen, and struck Shobak, the captain of the army, so that he died there. When all the kings who were servants to Hadadezer saw that they were defeated before Israel, they made peace with Israel and served them. So the Syrians were afraid to help the children of Ammon anymore. All right. Now, um, this is the start of the bad part of David's life. <laughs> um, the, the very next chapter, which is chapter 11, is the story of Bathsheba. And we all know that's the bad part, that's the start of the bad part of David's life, where he commits the sin with Bathsheba, he kills Uriah the Hittite, he tries to cover it up, and then all the consequences of that start to unravel, his sons start to rebel, and all these terrible things happen. And a lot of commentators think that up to this point, this is the good part, and from the next chapter on is the bad part. But actually, this chapter 
is where the bad part starts because this battle with Ammon is actually happening at the same time that David commits the sin of adultery with Bathsheba and the sin of murder by killing Bathsheba's husband. Because the next chapter is going to start by saying, in the spring at the time when the kings go off to war and David hadn't gone off to war. But what actually happened was Joab had gone off to war and it's this war, the one we're reading about right now, that Joab had gone off to. David hadn't gone off to it. So we're actually reading about the war that happened at the same time that David is committing his terrible sins. Now at the end of this chapter, David then gathers the army and goes, but at the start of this chapter, he doesn't go, he sends the army off without him. So this is actually where the bad part starts. And um, so the battle is with the Ammonites. The Ammonites have been in the Bible all along and uh, they were already subject to David or there was kind of a friendship with them but they suspected David as wanting to capitalize on the death of the father, the king, Nahash, and they were suspicious. So they cut off the clothes of these men at the waist down, so they're basically naked, and they shave off their beards, which is um, highly embarrassing. Now, not highly embarrassing to us, like I've got no beard, I shave every single night and I'm clean shaven, as are many, many men in you know modern Western nations. But in ancient times, to have no beard was highly embarrassing. <laughs> now, I've got to admit, I don't quite get that. But um, we think that being naked would be highly embarrassing, and it was. But at least with being naked, you could go round up some clothes or you know, cover up with leaves or something. You could sort it out pretty quickly, but you can't fix up the no beard problem quickly. So David says to them, go to Jericho, which is the, you know, basically the closest town on the way back, and wait there, wait till your beards have grown. So they have to wait there for months for their beards to regrow. So if you're a young lady listening to me, you know how long it takes for your hair to grow at length. You know, young girls, they love to show how long their hair is. We can take years for your hair to get down any substantial length. Well, for men to get a beard, enough of a beard for it to not be humiliating, it's at least three months, but it's often a lot longer. So they had to wait in Jer Jericho a long, long time. Very humiliating. So um, uh, what happens here then is that David ends up going across with the army. They destroy the not just the Ammonites, but the Ammonites had hired mercenaries to come down. And these mercenaries had come from the north, and several of them listed. And these, some of these had come from you know the area of Syria, even up into Mesopotamia. Now we think of Mesopotamia as like the area where Abraham came from. Now, this wasn't quite as far as Ur of the Chaldees, but now the territory of David and the control of David is extending right up north into areas that uh, never before or never since did Israel occupy. But you can see how the empire of David was quite strong. And in the time of Solomon, he makes it even more powerful by making alliances with everyone everywhere. Because he, well, a lot of the wives that Solomon marries, they're trade wives, like they're uh, political wives. He marries them for the sake of alliances. They're not wives he loves, but he ends up making alliances with people everywhere. So the effect or the control of the Israelite empire is huge by the time of Solomon. But David establishes all, all, everything with military. And so it's, it's a huge, it, it's the biggest empire, I believe, uh, from what I understand, was the biggest empire in the world up to this point in time was the one that David had ruled. 
And one of the commentators I listened to compared David with Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great came a lot later. There was more sophistication and, and he ruled a much bigger army. But in terms of military thinking and, and tactics and, and, and political cleverness, you know, Alec, David, David is one of the great military commanders of all time. And, um, but uh, David's victory here in this chapter happens after the sin with Bathsheba and after the sin of killing Uriah the Hittite. And this always raises interesting questions because the Lord, he, the Lord knows the sins that we commit. The Lord knows our sins before we commit them. So the Lord, the, in this chapter here, we've got, it just, it just causes us to think about why is the Lord blessing David after he's committed such a sin like this? But then you take a step back and you say to yourself, well, hang on, we were just reading a few chapters ago in chapter seven, how the Lord gave David this promise. David wanted to build God a house and God said, I'm gonna build you a house. And the Lord knew at that point what sins David was going to commit in the future. And you'd say, well, why does the Lord give people promises knowing that they're going to commit sins in the future? Now, before you think you're better than King David, because you haven't done any of these things, <laughs> just remind yourselves of what the Lord Jesus said. When he, Jesus said, if anyone has looked at a woman with lust, they've committed adultery in the heart. Now, in the heart means it's what you desire. Now, if you're a woman, maybe you've looked at a man and you've thought, oh, I so wish he was my husband because he would take care of me. That's the exact same thing. You might not have looked at the man's strength or his, you know, his physical attributes, but you've desired to be with that man. It's the exact same sin. It's adultery in the heart. And then the Lord Jesus said that if, if anyone um, hates someone, that's the same as the sin of murder. So what David did was he committed the sin of adultery and the sin of murder. We're gonna read about them in the very next chapter. And, uh, and quite likely, each and every person has committed the exact same sins as David. We think that what David did was worse because he did it for real. Um, but what we don't realize is that, is that the, what the heart loves or what the heart hates is what's real. We, we forget that because so many people today, you know, there's a certain percentage, let's just take a terrible example. There's a certain percentage of evil men that if there was no law, if there was no consequences, they would rape people. Or, you know, because they have no regard, the only reason they don't is because of the consequences. So you can see how the desire is the same thing as doing it. They're just self-controlled because they don't want to get into trouble. But you see, from God's perspective, he looks at that and he sees that, that, the, that the desire is doing it. I don't know if I'm coming across clearly, but there are people who hate other people. The only reason they don't kill them is because there's consequences. But if there were no consequences, let's say right now, all, you know, uh, no one was watching. You, if, people, if someone knew right now, I can do anything I want today and I will not get into trouble, there would definitely be people who would go kill other people because they hate them, knowing I'm gonna get away with this, I'm gonna go do it. Well, see, that hatred, uh, it's the same thing as murder. And a lot of people don't 
do the things they want to do, particularly the adultery one, because you know there might be someone in an office and they really want to be friendly with someone, um, but they don't because what are people going to say or what are people going to think? But if, if that restraint was removed, they would. And this is why when the Lord said anyone who commits it, who desires commits it in their heart it's the same thing and what I'm basically trying to say is that you and I and everyone else we're no better than King David was we look at him or we look at other sins like the sins of Samson and we think we're better than them but we're not and we can't judge them instead well what we should do and this is a prayer that I have prayed for many many years and the Lord does answer this prayer we say Lord Help me to love righteousness and help me to hate wickedness. You see, when you love what is right and when you hate what is wrong, you don't want to be like that. And um, you don't want to take anyone's wife. You don't want to kill anyone. You might not like what someone does to you, but you don't want them to be dead. You don't want to hate because the Lord changes you and it's the grace of God and it's wonderful. So you must pray the prayer that you'll find in Hebrews chapter one, I think it says that the Lord loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Make that your prayer. I pray that all the time. And it works. The Lord does change you. And so David, um, he committed these sins, but the Lord knew it in advance. And then even after David committed these sins, the Lord still gave him the victory that we just, that we just read here in chapter 10. So this is an interesting, interesting thing. A lot of us think that, that Jesus came and he died on the cross and we think that, um, that his, because he died on the cross, we can go to him at any time and we can have our sins forgiven. But we're not thinking that he's already died for the sins that we haven't committed yet. And we're also not thinking that he died for all the sins that were committed of people that were already dead. You think of... David and Abraham and, and all the godly people we know, and they're all sinners as well, but think about all the people that we don't know of that lived in Israel and other places whose sins were forgiven even though they died before Jesus was even born. The act of Christ was a timeless act. And so when the Lord extends his love to you, it's for all the sins that you committed, but it's also for all the ones you haven't committed yet. And that's a scary, scary thought because we don't want to take Christ for granted. We don't want to say, oh, he's forgiven me all of my sins and now I'm going to do whatever I, I want. And if you adopt that position, now your heart has become hardened to the grace of God and you, you lose the ability to repent and now you're not walking in righteousness and you may not even be saved. But no, you realize, wow, the Lord's mercy has gone before me as it did for David in that story. And you realize, Lord, I want to do what's right. I want to walk with you. I don't want to be sinful. And that's the fear of the Lord that starts to come in there and it helps you. And that's a good, good thing. And uh, so I guess David's a picture of Christ, but like all pictures of Christ in the Bible, he's not a perfect picture of Christ. He's a picture of Christ in some ways, but he's still a human with weaknesses and faults and we can learn from them as well. Father, I ask that you would help us to love righteousness, help us to hate wickedness. And Lord, we also pray the Lord's Prayer that you would keep us from evil. Lord, keep us from temptation. I pray that the evil one would be pushed away. Lord, that we would walk in righteousness. Thank you, Lord, for the mercy of the Lord which has gone before us and forgiven us our sins, past, present and future. 
and help us to walk in righteousness. Give to us the fear of the Lord. Help us to know your heart and know your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.